Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello and welcome to the program, everyone. My special guest tonight is James Nguyen. James, hello. How are you tonight? I'm doing really well, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. You hail from Melbourne, Australia. Am I correct? That's correct. Uh, fantastic. Tell Australia hello for me. <laughs> Absolutely, I will. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, let's begin this journey together. What is poetry, James? Yeah, for me, poetry is an expression of my soul. Um, and anybody who writes poetry is an expression of their soul. And so there's different things that we feel through um, in our lives, whether they're feelings and emotions from when we were younger, whether they're feelings, emotions we feel in you know, any present moment. For me, poetry is being able to distill those feelings and convey those through words and the beauty of words. Oh, very nice, very nice. What are some of the predominant themes of your work? Yeah, I describe my poetry as business and life through spoken word poetry. And so I've been an entrepreneur for pretty much my entire you know, adult life. And yeah, I just still a lot of ideas from business and a lot of principles behind business, but even beyond all of that stuff, it's really around the life concept and the life lessons. So everything about love, relationships, spirituality, psychology, um, they're the most prevalent themes throughout all of my work. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Now, how does a poem begin for you with an image, a form, or an idea? Yeah, for me, poetry, and especially when I'm writing, it, it begins with a feeling. And so, yeah, the impetus for a lot of my poems is just felt experience, whether it's me doing my own inner work and getting to a moment, you know, whether it was in my childhood or as a teenager, and then really feeling through that. And you can almost you can almost phrase it as almost like a visceral inspiration because I'll have that felt experience through my body and then that's where it'll start. And then literally the words will just flow through me. Well, what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Yeah, it's crazy, Michael. Like the first poem I remember writing actually was when I was about eight and I was writing some poems around dogs. And I just remember at eight being able to like, yeah, <laughs> creating rhyming couplets and then just hearing the musicality of words I'm putting on a page. I remember at that time just reading my poems and then that really transitioned to, you know, writing Mother's Day cards in poetry, writing, you know, birthday cards and stuff in poetry when I was really young. And just seeing how those words that was coming from, at the time I thought it was my mind, but really it was just coming from my soul and my heart at the time. Mm-hmm. Seeing that actually impact other people like that was crazy. My family's reaction when they would read it, were reading my poems or my mum's reaction when, you know, I'd give her a bookmark that actually I wrote down, you know, all these different poems on for her. Like that was probably the, the earliest memory of when I actually experienced that my poetry words that I was writing or was flowing through me was having a real impact on the people in my life. Now, do you come from a literary background? Uh I've been writing for a long time and I've written in a number of publications. Um, But yeah, in terms of formal literary training, in terms of my family and all that stuff, I would say I'm the first. Oh, wow. Very nice. Please share a poem. Amazing. So this one is called Positive Some Love. I'm so scared I'm going to lose you. Straight up, there's so much of me that doesn't want to lose you. I'm choosing you every day, so losing you without a stay feels like hell. I can tell how well I fell for you because there's a well and spell that wants me to hold on. Hold on for dear life because I don't want to lose you. Is this true love? Is this an intervention from above? Or is this attracting attention and atoning for another attachment? Creating chaos causing crippling cramps of attachment. Because right now, my body just doesn't want to lose you. When you're not here with me, it's hard for me to see why you're choosing me. The part of me that wants to flee is up in arms, predicting, projecting, preparing me for possible harms. 
because these parts are powerfully protecting painful possibilities from possessing me, obsessing me, messing me when I'm addressing the fear of losing you. But it's because I love you, I think. It's because the idea of not being with you makes my heart sink. That's why I'm just so damn scared I'm going to lose you. But is this true love? Is true love really zero sum? The more we love, the less love we have to give. The idea that love is reactive, selective, and relative doesn't feel true. The more I feel into it, the less it feels true. Because true love, if I'm being honest, isn't about me or you, as much as it feels that way right now. It's really because I don't want to allow in the possibility of losing you. Because honestly, without you, I don't know who will make me feel this way. Every day I say that I will pay whatever may be the price of love, but here I am trying to price your love and entice your love to a place of possession, a place of zero-sumness, just so I can feel a wholeness and numb what I think is a whole mess inside me. But is this true love? When I'm using you to fill me rather than fulfill me? The reason I'm scared right now is because I disavow my own responsibility, my own ability to heal my fragility and create stability through the act of truly loving myself. Not in a way that I'm just self-soothing, searching for someone to save me, but in a way where I'm just self-proving to myself that I will continue to be there. Not scare and compare myself to anyone else. Just be there. Anywhere. Because true love is when I no longer have a choice. Because true love is not something that shrinks when it's given. It grows great and grand when it's given. Because true love is exponentially expanding expressions, exceeding expectations of what we think it is. True love is more than we can ever know. Because it will infinitely continue to outgrow our mind. So what we will find behind the misaligned definition of love is that it is something we can never think our way through, only feel. And when you feel the real deal, it will heal you still. Because true love is just about love. Love for everyone and everything. In true love, we don't actually have a say in which way, on what day, or who may be the object of that love. Because at its heart, our heart will start to chart love when we allow it to become us. True love will help us become. True love can only ever be positive some. Thank you. That was magnificent, James. Thank you so much. Absolutely magnificent. You know, there was so much power in your piece. The emotion was there. Do you think that someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Yeah, I think everybody has poetry inside them. And I think, you know, really poetry being an extension of just creativity. Mm -hmm. I think everybody actually has powerful conviction behind their emotions. It's just there are parts of them that potentially feel like they don't. And it's more around remembering that they've always been deeply emotional and they've always actually been deeply expressive rather than going out and trying to find it. All right. How do you feel that poetry has shaped your worldview? Yeah, it's crazy, Michael, because, you know, in a tangible way, poetry has really taken – yeah, a really big part of my life and it's become a big part of my life this year in particular. Okay. But how I think it's really changed a lot of how I see the world is I actually start to see things in poetry. Right? I start to see my experiences and feel my experiences in words. And the words actually just start to come to me more than anything else. And so, you know, it actually gives me a, a deeper emotional acuity because it allows that part of me to express how I'm feeling all the different things going inside, um, going on inside my heart and inside my soul through words. And so in some ways, it actually feels a lot more cathartic and actually brings me in all of my parts just a lot more peace on a day-to-day. And so, mm. you know, that's probably the, the most profound change in terms of my day-to-day life since poetry has really come into it. Are you a poem? 
I think everybody is. Yeah. <laughs> We're an ongoing poem that never ends. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about that being a poem. <laughs> because yeah, I ask like myself the same end... question all the time. So tell me more. Yeah, I love that. it. What a gr- what a great what a great question. Number one, um, and what a great analogy to kind of feel through. But like, if we take poetry as if we take a poem as an expression of the soul, and if we take a poem as you know where they're having different stages of the poem, having different stanzas in the poem, having different verses if it's a spoken word poem, then we really start to feel through this idea that well that is an extension of us because if what we are at our core is just an expression of our souls an expression of creativity, then there's different standards in our life. There's different, you know, there it might be building to a crescendo in the poem might be building to, you know, there might be more rhythm and mu- more musicality in part of a poem. And then later on in the poem, the actual tone and the mood shifts. Well, you can see a lot of parallels and mirrors in, in terms of people's life, different life stages, different life challenges and being able to articulate that, in our lives through just living and being more of ourselves is in the same way we can articulate those things, Michael, through a poem. And so you actually love that idea. I think we actually all are poems. We just don't know when our poems are ending because we're always, we're always just writing it every day. That's a very wise and profound statement that we just don't know when our poems are ending. Wow. I like that. That, that really, really stunned me. Thank you very, very much. You know, all great (laughs) writers, have great writing influences. Who are some of yours and what makes them great in your eyes? Yeah, so probably in terms of my poetry, the most recent and probably the most profound influence on me has has been Amanda Gorman, um, who read the inauguration poem at Joe Biden's um, inauguration. And, you know, her being so young and her, her just having wisdom beyond her years in her words and in her poetry, and in her delivery. Like, that's been a huge inspiration. Like, not only am I a big fan of the actual poem she's written and the spoken word um, poem she's written before, but just seeing how she's actually embodied her poetry. Like, that's Mm. a huge, huge inspiration for me. Um, I've been reading across, you know, not just poetry, but just in general, Cheryl Strayed um, and Esther Perel are both, for me, linguistic wizards. They're just they have such a beautiful, beautiful command of the English language and just how they write. And it's not, you know, writing in rhymes or writing in couplets or writing, you know, in stanzas, but it's just in general how they write their books and how they're able to convey and communicate not only their ideas, but the emotionality behind their ideas, like, yeah, has had a profound, profound impact on, on my writing. And so for me, writing is just that modality for me to be able to communicate, you know, what's going on beneath my mind, Right. So, you know, if you literally look on a body beneath your head and you go downwards, you go into your heart and then you go into your gut, which is your soul. Oh, wow. Very nice. Very nice. Please share another poem. Amazing. So I would love to share the poem called Wear Out Thou Purpose. Purpose, purpose, purpose. Wear out thou purpose. That question makes a part of us confused. The part of us that we abuse, use, and accuse doesn't have direction. But what if that confusion was an illusion that creates a false conclusion? That we don't know where we're going. What if our compass has always said east, keep going east, but the world says west, and because we think it knows best, we forget the rest and fail the test of listening to ourselves. So when we hear the question, what is our purpose, we hear confusion on the surface and silence underneath. But again, what if what we hear is only fear and to hear truth, we need to grit our teeth and say to the world, no, thank you. I must go east. It's only then that our confusion and delusion can begin to cease because what if going west was going outward and leading us astray and going east was going inward and showing us the way? If that was true, then we'll be due a thank you to ourselves because following our compass will lead us back home. A place we don't need to ask questions, a place we can so freely roam. Because what if the question of what is our purpose was always a red herring? And instead of tearing, comparing, and declaring that we need an answer, we chose to look past it. We chose to search instead of seek. And what we might find is that we're tall, light, and strong, not meek, bleak, or weak. What if the warmth for which we so deeply yearn is something that burns so stern inside that we don't need to discern where it truly comes from? 
because it gently sings and rings things that sound so familiar. So familiar because we've always heard it, but never worded it. It's always been there. We've just always been too scared to listen. So as a result, it's missed then. What if we've been fighting this internal war for has been something that can never be won, can only be found? If that's the case, we would be walking on a profound ground where all around is only sound that says one thing. Purpose, purpose, purpose. Here art, thou purpose. Thank you. Exquisite. You know, your voice is so strong. What is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Yeah, I think um, I try to mirror it, actually, because a lot of my writing now in my poetry, but previously when I've been writing, you know, whether it's articles, essays, any of, me, any of my other written work, I've always tried to communicate my, my personality and my character and my emotions through my writing. And so, yeah, I can see a real transition of my writing as I myself have, you know, just found different parts of myself, gone deeper in my own inner journey, you know, quote unquote, matured. I just see that reflected in, in the tonality of my actual writing. And so I actually try to mirror a lot of my writing in my spoken, my, my spoken voice in my writing and then vice versa, a lot of my writing in my spoken voice. So um, I try to keep them as consistent as possible because for me, words, whether they're spoken or whether they're written, it's just an extension of us. So the more yes. congruent we can make it, the more true and aligned and authentic that we can continue to be in the world. Oh, beautiful. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. showing up tonight, being with us to listen to James Newen. James, let's imagine that a poem is like a cake, all right? Mm. What are some of the prevalent ingredients that go into the makeup of a poem? Yeah, for me, number one is realness, vulnerability. Mm. Because, yeah, you can write you can write words that rhyme, you can write, you know, quite lyrical stanzas, you can write, you know, poems that follow certain structures but the poems that resonate with me most are the ones that just have felt experience threaded all the way through and it's something ironically that is hard to articulate in words but is really just a felt intuition and so you can really feel certain poems versus just reading them or hearing them and so for me the poems that are the most moving the poems that i'm most proud of when i'm writing are the poems that i'm that i've written and i speak and i perform and i recite from the deepest place of authenticity. Because when I'm really, really vulnerable, when I'm writing and performing my poetry, that's when people can just feel what I'm writing about. And yeah, if we come back to what we were speaking about before, Michael, that poetry really is just an extension of ourselves and an extension of our souls, the more that we can help people meet us and meet our souls and meet our hearts through our words, like that, if we think of poetry as a cake, is for me, like that's the flower. You know, like mm. that's the prerequisite, the foundation that you actually need to build a cake or like bake a cake or write a poem. And so without that, really what I see it is, is, you know, it's a mix of all these other ingredients that maybe on the surface might look, look like a poem. So maybe like for a cake, it's actually, you know, it might be the sugar or it might be, you know, the really indulgent taste of the cake, if, assuming you're cooking a chocolate cake or, you know, a sweet cake. Yes. 
And then yes. without that, really what you have is a cake that potentially looks like a cake on the outside, but when you eat it and you taste it, it's not actually, it doesn't satiate you. It doesn't feel nourishing. Mm. It doesn't feel sweet. It doesn't feel real because yes. it's really just a container that's empty. So a poem with beautiful words without a beautiful sentiment and beautiful conviction and vulnerability behind it is really just words. And so for me, poetry is just so much more than just words. Oh, very nice. You know, they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, artists, and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? What emerges do from you me? have me, Michael? Yes. Are you there? Can you hear me? James? There might be technical difficulties because I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now, James? There are technical difficulties, good people. We're calling into Melbourne, Australia. So we'll see what happens when James comes back. This has been a beautiful program so far. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself listening to him. He's an amazing young man. We are back. Let's see. James, can you hear me? I can hear you again. We're back. <laughs> oh, we are back. <laughs> Technical difficulties. Technical difficulties. <laughs> Just Where like did you lose me, Michael? It's <laughs> like writing <laughs> <Yeah>. a poem. <laughs> sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but we are together again. My question was, back. yes, they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, artists, and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? Truth. And I think the truth is, yeah, the truth at times can absolutely be subjective. Um, you know, everybody has their own truth, but I also think there are universal truths as well. And so mm. what I feel really proud of is a lot of my poetry for my felt experience communicates truths that are true and resonant with everybody. So whether I talk about this idea of unconditional love, whether I talk about anything behind that, they're really important to me. Um, and so they're the things that I think, yeah, are just felt through everybody. So for me, I think truth and in terms of the truth of all of us is what's communicated. You know, we live in a world where so much is happening. So much is happening. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern day society? It's similar to what I think is expressed through my poetry. Okay. For me, I, yeah, for me, I think it is being able to pull back the curtain on truth, being mm. able to deliver truth. Because, you know, in the same way, a comedian can make a lot of people laugh and a comedian can, um, you know, be able to share observations that might be uncomfortable outside the context of, you know, um, making people laugh. I think for poets, being able to communicate and show people truth is very similar. So whether it is this idea that, you know, we really need to love more of ourselves, or whether it's this idea that, you know, beneath everything, beneath a lot of our suffering is attachment. Like for me, these are universal truths. And I think, you know, in the modern day, when we see a lot of conflict in the world, where we see, you know, a lot of um, division in the world, a way for us to unify people from my point of view, I assert is through, you know, deeper unconditional love and actually being and embodying love. And so my role through my poetry or my role as a poet is being able to shed light on these truths that previously may be uncomfortable but being able to say it in a way and distill down these lessons and universality of all of us through the spoken word. Wow. You speak so eloquently. Please share another poem. Amazing. So this poem, 
fittingly, is called Blade of Truth. It's sharp, short, and shining in the light of every day. Sometimes you see it, but either way it'll stay. In broad daylight of your day, waiting there to stay, the parts of you that are fighting, fiercely forcing you astray. The blade of truth will split you and take your breath away. In one swift swipe, the you today will never stay. Because the blade of truth will pierce the character you play. It will show you your shadow like a searing sunlight ray. What it will portray is a glowing light archway that you can choose to walk through or else run away. But if you dare to say, I've been cut by truth today, and I choose to pay the debt, whatever be it may, you will see that truth will change you in every single way. The blade of truth will humble you, convey this and display. Who you really are and what's clearly in the way for you to obey your heart and why your skies are gray. Because it's time for you to turn around and say a hey to the parts of you that miss you and have never got to play. It's up to you to take the reins to never again allay the light that shines within you today and yesterday. Because this is the blade of truth. It's sharp, short and shining. Let it cut through you and it just may be life-defining. Thank you. How has poetry helped you find a meaningful life? Yeah, for me, a lot of poetry is around expression. And so, yeah, there's a real correlation between how meaningful and fulfilling my life is and how peaceful I'm able to, you know, live my life with, how authentically I can be and express myself in the world. And, you know, when we really, when we really peel back the layers, we understand expressions are actually all a choice. Yes. Because at any moment we can express ourselves. We can express our truth. We can express truth. We can express things that potentially may be uncomfortable in different social situations, but it's always a choice to express ourselves. And the more I've been writing poetry, the, the more license I've given the different parts of me to express themselves, whether it is, you know, my Mr you know, Mr. Nervous, or it could be Mr. Unworthy, or it could be Mr. Anxiety, or whatever might be coming up inside my soul and inside my consciousness. The more poetry that I write, the more license I give to them, the more I give those parts of me a microphone to speak. And the more that they're able to speak, the more I'm actually able to live a life that's aligned and congruent and authentic. And for me, Michael, the more I'm able to live from that place, the more fulfilling and the more meaningful my life actually is. Because I would assert that's actually the only time where I'm actually living a true life. Everything wow. else is an illusion. Everything else is a matrix. Wow. <laughs> Please share another poem. Amazing. So this poem is called Boxed In. People try to understand you by putting you into boxes. Neat, uniform boxes on boxes. That's because they need to try and understand you. Brand, break, and box you into shapes that they've seen before. Give you a ceiling and a floor so they can draw out your archetype. On the surface, it's to build rapport, but it's really because they've never met your type. A real individual with multifaceted eccentricities. Not because you don't exist, but because in themselves they have missed that they too are a real individual with multifaceted idiosyncrasies with taste, talent, and totalities that can never be easily defined because they're still looking so hard to find who they really are. This bizarre bar afar on which they're trying to attach their star, they're trying to be this one person, this one person that other people can put into boxes. Because if we don't fit into boxes, we don't fit in. Because the box that we're using is made from society's thin skin that needs us to assimilate, fabricate, and indoctrinate ourselves to the rule of boxes. Otherwise, everything will be a mess. If we're not in boxes, then how do we assess where everyone fits in? How everyone stacks against each other? Because boxes ban boldness by bounding us to walls. Like stalls in malls, we are neat and uniform. It's only when boxes are on boxes that we can conform to the illusion of solidity and rigidity. When the reality is, all we are is fluidity. So the more we are bound to boxes, the more we are bound. The more we are bound, the less that we are found to be ourselves. 
Because who we are can't be defined, confined, and all refined to something that has four sides. Like an ocean's perpetual tides, we are unpredictable and flowing, growing, glowing, and rowing into more of the unknowing. We are not here to define ourselves. Because we can't. No matter how big the box we make, it will eventually break if we make the mistake to try to fit into it. Because we can't. Boxes don't make us understand each other. They help us judge, fudge and smudge the details of who someone is. Because it's faster and simpler than trying to understand who someone is. And ultimately, this is because that's how we treat ourselves. We try to box people in because we have felt boxed in. If when we look inside, all we see are boxes, then of course, when we look outside, all we make are boxes. Boxes to ban boldness by bounding us to walls. It makes the world simpler because inside us, our complexity scares us. If we can't understand who we are, then we will reprimand who we are by putting ourselves in boxes. But we are merely confused, not diffused or unenthused by the uniqueness of who we are, just bruised by these boring, banal boxes that can no longer be used. Because we are real individuals with multifaceted eccentricities. There are no boxes that can fit our true personalities. So let us unbox ourselves. To finally become ourselves. Thank you. Oh, wow. There are no words, James. You know, this is a call-in show, and we have a caller. Amazing. I'd like to bring this person on, if that's okay. Absolutely. All right. Area code 804, the first three three numbers are 798. You're on the air with James. Hi. I just became aware of your show, and I love the sentiments James is bringing forth with his poetry, and I don't consider myself a poet, but from time to time I do compose some that I have one that I'm putting out to transform the whole field of global philanthropy. It's a very short poem that Maya Angelou even commented on. I'd love to see what I can do to collaborate with James to bring his work out more because I'm looking also to transform global economics in ways that will create circles of love where everyone benefits, not just the greedy ones. The poem I authored is titled Caring Sharing. It reads, if you dare to care, then share. If you share, pay heed, God will reward every good deed. And this is uh, put out globally for any artist, any nonprofit, any company or organization to utilize. To, it's short enough it can be put on like T-shirts and coffee mugs and posters with your own social media to come back to to show who you are and how you're adhering to what the message of the poem conveys. And I can give my name and that will bring you to a archived a blog talk show where you hear me speaking with Maya Angelou and her kind words about my poem. James, how can you be reached? Yeah, so my team are actually just uh, relaunching um, my website and everything like that. But if you do find us on Instagram, um, I'm sorry, I'm not sure the, the name of the caller, but if you do find us on Instagram or any uh, of the socials on YouTube or anything, um, the username is JQN Studios. I, unfortunately, I personally don't do anything on the internet. Everything is put there by people who interact with me. If the host can share my phone number with you, I think you'll be amazed at my life experiences and who I am. Okay, Amazing. Your name, sir? If you share your, yeah, yeah, so your if name I can and... give that, then you can uh, just uh, have my name and you'll see all kinds of things on the internet, but I, I'll, I'll give my name and if you, uh, after my name, if you put and Maya Angela, then you'll hear me speaking with her. Uh, okay. My name is my name is Hugh, H-U-G-H, the last name Trollson, that's spelled T like Tom, R-A-U-L, S like Sam, E like Edward, N like Nancy, and then after my name, just put and Maya Angelou, and 
once you see my name, you can put it on YouTube or Google it. I've had quite a bizarre life, and I'm nonpartisan when it comes to politics, and my last name has global recognition in the food service field, so I'm looking to transform entire industries eventually, global economics, education, politics, religion, and more based on spirituality and unconditional agape love, making everything right. ethical, legal, moral, and transparent. Okay, and your number, sir? It's area code 804-798-1139. Do you have and an your, email? I, I don't, I, I'm not looking to sell anything. I'm looking to be a blessing with my divine gift of what I term creative utilization of information. All right, then. And your last name one more time, sir. Yes, it's Charlson. The first letter is T like Tom, R A. U L S like Sam, E like Edward, N like Nancy. If you just put Charleston.com okay. on the firstborn child of the founder of uh, Charleston refrigerators are all over the world on military installations and hotels, hospitals, schools, restaurants, even in the White House kitchen. And I did work for the company for about eight years when I first got out of the Air Force in 1968. All right. Well, thank you so much for calling in. I've got your information, and we'll go from there. All right? Thank you very much. Take care. Yes. Have a great evening. All right, James. Perfect. All right. You hail from Melbourne, Australia. How has living being born i'm guess being born in australia shaped your way of being in terms of your poetry yeah that's a great question michael so i'm not i don't think spoken word or poetry in general is as big in australia as over in the states um Mm -hmm. but i i think for me being yeah my my parents are from vietnam i was born and raised in melbourne australia and so having that intersection of you know, growing up in a Western culture, but having a lot of East Asian influences and, and cultural inspiration growing up. I think I've been gifted with a really uh, unique intersection, which I know a lot of people have as well, who have grown up, whether it's in America with, as Asian American or anything like that. But it's given me a real insight um, and it's really gifted me with an emotional acuity to understand the different sides of that spectrum. You know, having a lot of East Asian influences growing up in my actual family home and then going out, whether it's, you know, in primary school, in high school, anything like that, in, into, into college or university here, um, and then being surrounded by quite a diverse set of uh, cultural values. And then being able to juxtapose those things against how I grew up has just really allowed me to go deeper into reflecting and introspecting about, you know, what actually makes these differences. You know, because on the surface, a lot of these differences at times and growing up for me as well have been points of, let's call it division, you know, the more diplomatic way of saying that. Um, yes. But, you know, beneath it all, it's just really given me the felt experience of having been on the side of, uh, let's call it discrimination or ostracism um, based on different values. And just really being able to feel through even beneath all of that stuff is still the same fundamental values of us all being human. And so what's the actual precursors to division are actually the prerequisites to unity. Because in the same way that, you know, people, potentially parts of them might be scared, parts of them might be unfamiliar with certain cultural values, which, you know, actually starts to catalyze more desires to try to create safety through division. Like you understand that actually all people are still just people and we still have the same human emotions that are, you know, stirring or motivating certain behavior. And so growing up in, in Australia, being from an Asian background has just given me that diversity of experience and, and just more reference to understand that, you know, beneath division is actually unity. And the unity is to understand the motivations for division. It sounds like you've had an opportunity to break a number of boundaries through the use of poetry. And maybe you've answered this question already before, but why did you choose this particular medium as your forum for expression? Yeah, great question as well, Michael. For me, it's actually, I actually don't feel like I've chosen this medium. This medium's chose me, okay. you know, and, on, and yeah, that's just been my felt experience because, you know, when I'm eight, I don't really decide what I like to do, really. 
like it's just certain things I like to do. Like when I was young, I really loved playing sports and I just happened to write a lot of like rhyming couplets, let's say when I was eight years old. And so in a lot of ways that I didn't actively go out and choose that, right? That, that just happened in my life. And then over, you know, the course of my life as I grew up and then into my adult life, you know, poetry has really profoundly come back into my life in particular this year. And so, you know, I've been really um, overwhelmed by, let's call it a wave of creativity as just more, more of my poems and more of my words just that flow through me. And so in a lot of ways, I'm just trusting that, you know, right now I feel most called, if I really tune in and listen to what my gut is saying, I feel most called to write. I feel most mm. called to distill down lessons, to teach, to, you know, um, yeah, to speak, communicate through my poetry. And right now it's really about trusting that. And so in a lot of ways, Michael, I feel like poetry has chosen me more so than, than the other way around. All right, then. Please share another poem. Perfect. So this next poem is called Have We Met Before? It feels like I've known you all my life. We just met. We just talked. But there's just a feeling. This appealing feeling revealing a subtle, soft voice that whistles and whispers this wispy wisdom that it feels like I've known you all my life. I don't know what it is. It's like I recognize a part of you. Like, really, I do. There's no logical sense, but it's something I can't argue. You just seem familiar. Not like family, but formerly following similar paths, maybe. It just feels like I've known you all my life. I find myself telling you what I really think. Like raw and real ordeals that would previously make my body shrink. To think of saying out loud. Because it's not socially allowed to be this honest. But it just feels like I've known you all my life. It's not based on how you look. I didn't double talk because I recognized you. It's based on how you feel. Not physically, but energetically. Because aesthetically, I've never seen you. But magnetically, it just feels like I've known you all my life. You make me feel safe. Like all the parts of me know they have nothing to fear. It's your mere presence here that creates this atmosphere of trust. It's soft and inviting, not harsh nor indicting. It just feels like I've known you all my life. There's just something about you that makes me relax. My body reacts to how your heart attracts the warmth in this space you've created. It distracts me from the fact that we just met, but it feels belated. Because it just feels like I've known you all my life. The thing is, I can just take off my mask when I'm around you. My many masks I make matter so much that I never knew how much I was wearing them. I can take them all off when I'm around you. Because it just feels like I've known you all my life. Your beautiful ability to hold such strong space. Where I can share anything that I'm feeling and know there'll never be judgment to face. Because you just witness me. Exactly as I am. So much so it feels like I've known you all my life. The craziest thing is when I'm around you, it feels like I'm around me. The real parts of me that I can finally see feel free to be exactly as they need to be. This doesn't happen to me very often. That's why it feels like I've known you all my life. But what if I have? What if the reason I feel like I've known you all my life is because I have? Because being around you helps me meet me. Helps me see and free the part of me that has always wanted just to be. So when I meet you, I actually meet that part of me. The part that has always been there. Who's just been too scared to share because he's aware it's so rare for his welfare to be a sacred affair. That's why it just feels like I've known you all my life. Because when I'm around you, all the parts of me feel like they're invited to. They feel like they're meant to be here, not hiding, hoping to heal the harm, harsh hate that they fear. Just be here and be hugged. That's why it feels like I've known you all my life. So thank you so much for helping me meet the love that I'm so overdue. It's a beautiful gift that's come directly from you because you are the magic mirror that makes me meet myself. And the reason I feel like I've known you all my life is because who you've helped me meet, I have. Thank you.
Oh, wow. We'll be right back. We are back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with the incredible James Newen. James, your work is just phenomenal. 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 Thank you so so much, Michael. So clear. Incredible. You know, all poets have several words that come up over and over and over again, words or sentences that they just can't help but use in their work. What are three of your absolute favorite words to use? Love. Mm-hmm. Unconditionality. All right. Tell me about those three words for you. Yeah, for me, love is love's the base plate beneath everything. You know, mm-hmm. at our very core, all we are is love. That's my assertion. And so, yeah, love just weaves itself through not only my poetry, but if poetry is an extension of me, that's how I'm actively trying to live my life. Love, unconditional love just weaves itself through all of me. And so, and all of my life in every aspect. And so love, whether it's the actual word love or whether it's the concept or the ideas of love weave itself through, through all, all of my poems, for sure. Unconditionality relates really closely to that as well. Um, yeah, the love being unconditional yeah, that's that's where they weave together, and that's where they're really they're yeah they're really tightly linked. I guess you could call okay. it. And sometimes right. you know when poems might not have love in it, you know the word unconditionality might come up, and you know for me that's actually you know I just I love the sound, I love the you know the makeup of that word, you know the number of syllables in it, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know how easily the the ending of it actually rhymes like unconditionality, reality, actuality, like all these different things really flow off that. And I really love that. Um, And then B for me is, yeah, again, at our deepest core, that's our essence, right? It's not about what we do. We're not human doings, we're human beings. And so, you know, the word B is just weaved throughout a lot of my my, um, pieces. And yeah, B just relates so closely when I'm speaking from anecdotal experience, when I'm speaking from my own lived like, I guess it's, yeah, just my lived emotions and my lived memories. Like, I speak about me a lot. And so whenever I speak about me, I'm really speaking about how I can be more free to be. And so, yeah, that's that's where that third word really comes into my writing. Nicely stated. Nicely stated. What makes a poem good? And that's very subjective, I know. But what do you think makes totally. a poem? Yes. Yeah, for me, a poem, you know, what's good and bad, but the ones that I get feel most connected to, let's say, the ones that mm-hmm. I'm most moved by are the poems that make me feel, the poems that literally transport me. Like if we take poems as portals, right? Um, you know, <laughs> alliteration unintended there, but like if we take po- poems as portals, it actually allows us to be transported into another dimension, whether it's a, another emotional dimension, whether another spiritual dimension, or literally if we're able to visualize another actual physical dimension like poems are able to take us there so the poems i resonate with most are the ones that i feel the most you know sometimes they might have beautiful words beautiful alliteration beautiful rhyming couplets you know any of these things but beyond that like a poem for me like especially in spoken word like i love the musicality of spoken word but even if it's not rhyming you know even if um you know the syllables don't line up and it doesn't follow any of the normal structure like if I really feel somebody behind what they're speaking and really feel them behind their poetry, that for me, Michael, is the most meaningful and powerful poems. And so, you know, quote unquote, if that's good, um, they're the ones that I appreciate the most. 
you know, you've had opportunities, it sounds like, to do a number of different things. And what intrigues me most is your, in your ability to bring poetry into the business world. Tell me more about that. Yeah, for me, it's, you know, when everybody's zigging, you should zag. And sure. yeah, no, I think it's actually, I've been gifted with the ability to, um, I guess, articulate myself through spoken word poetry or just poetry in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, what, what then becomes really meaningful to me is being able to share lessons, being able to teach, being able to, you know, just share my experience in a way that is just more deeply resonant and really unique to a lot of people. And so, you know, I have poems around principles behind business, right? And yeah, everybody, there's a lot of, you know, business leaders, there's a lot of, you know, people who talk about business concepts, everything like that. Um, But for me, there's a lot of monotony in that. There's a lot of monotony, you know, in just ways people communicate about business. And business actually is a creative expression for me. It's an art form because, again, everything in my life, I, I do my best to try to align it as an expression of my soul, an expression of who I am. And so it just makes a lot of sense that the ways I speak about business, the ways that I look about uh, look at creating businesses actually become quite poetic for people who are really deep in business. So it makes right. so much sense to me to flip that and say, okay, if I'm speaking about my businesses, if I'm speaking about concepts in business, why wouldn't I articulate these messages through poetry? If that can resonate with more people, if that's going to capture more people's attention, if that's able to actually, people can feel that, like, I actually think there's actually so much emotion, and I'm not talking about making emotional decisions in business. I'm talking about the actual, like, emotional conviction, the actual emotional expression behind true, true entrepreneurial ventures. And so, yeah, business for me is an actual art form. It's something I really love as a game. It's something that I really, yeah, have spent a lot of time deep in. And so for me, being able to weave my poetry and distill a lot of my experience of business through poetry is, is really unique. But really, the only reason it's unique is because it's authentic, and it's authentic yes. to me. How do you handle the naysayers? Poetry should not be here. Yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, there's just so much nuance to that, Michael. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, number one is just to understand everybody is entitled to their subjective truth. Yes. And for anybody to be, you know, to be triggered by somebody else's opinion, to be, you know, looking at somebody else as responsible for their emotions really just isn't taking enough responsibility and accountability for their emotions. So what I actually mean by that is when there are naysayers, when there are haters, like everybody's entitled to just speak their truth, right? But if you allow someone else's truth to influence your truth, if you allow someone else's truth to trigger parts of you, then really that's just that's just a reminder. That's just a mirror that there are parts of you that you really just need to love more. That there are parts of you you just really need to spend more time with because, you know, nobody actually is allowed, no, nobody in the world is capable of actually triggering you. That trigger is your responsibility. You know, someone doesn't hold a gun to your head and say, be angry if somebody says something, right? Somebody says mm-hmm. something and it triggers you based on your past experience, based on, you know, your subjective um, yeah, experience of the world and your reality and, you know, different parts of you that may have, you know, been bullied or somebody may have said something, you know, um, yes, said something rancorous to you, you know, when you were younger or a different stage in your life. But, you know, that's your responsibility to, to heal that past trauma, to heal those past wounds. It's not on somebody else to, you know, stop triggering you because the only way you can be stopped that, you know, triggers are stopped um, is for you to take full responsibility that any way that you feel is always, you. It's never someone else. You know, writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write because to stay silent is not an option. Why do you write, James? Mm. Yeah, for me, I think I have a mandate to write. I think it's a responsibility of mine. If I've been gifted with, with the ability to communicate, whether it's through spoken word, whether it's through written word, I think there's a responsibility for me to use those gifts in a way that's going to be really impactful to the world. And so, you know, I choose to use my poems. I choose to use my poetry to communicate ideas that I think are going to really move humanity forward. And I think are going to make a a real proper impact in the world. And, you know, as long as I stay aligned to that, as long as, you know, I stay congruent with my values, then that's all I can really ask. And that's why, that's why I think I just need to keep writing. Well, we've got time for one more poem. Amazing. 
So this last poem is called Best or Forgotten. I need to be the best, like literally the best. This isn't in jest or to pump up my chest, but genuinely I'm just obsessed to be the best. And this applies to everything, work, business, reading, the acts of the mind, the acts of the heart. There's something inside me that just won't depart that says I need to be the best, like literally the best. But really what's beneath it is a focus on hierarchy. I want to be at the top of the field, not just one, but any field. Why? Why do I need to fly so high that it feels like I'm willing to die? Because the top of the field will yield a shield that can convince me that I'm healed. Because the top of the field gets attention. It's convention that after ascension, people will mention you. Sure, sometimes there's tension about pretension or condescension, but that's not what it's about for me. That's not what I want to do. I don't want to be the best so I can detest the rest. I want to be the best so people will see me. So people will free me from the treadmill of popularity. Because I won't need to be popular if I'm the best. People will just see me. See me as someone they admire. Aspire to acquire the fire that's helped me rise higher so they too can retire from the race for attention. Because running after attention is tiring, not inspiring. Because there's no expiring of acquiring more status. But here's the thing. When we see the world as zero sum, it's because we're listening to the beat of someone else's drum. Because being the best requires comparison. And comparison precludes people's possible peace from mind. It forces us to always look and find some reference of our own values. And that's behind why I'm stressed to test whether I'm the best. Lest I'm not. Lest I feel the knot in my stomach that's scared to say, what if I'm not? Because who would I be if not the best? How would I define myself? How could I impress myself? But the fact is I'm doing neither. I'm actually suppressing myself, which is depressing myself when I constantly try to win the hierarchy. The hierarchy that doesn't exist outside my mind. I've designed this kind of blind grind that I think is behind mankind because I want to get attention. Because the more attention that I have, the more I'm worthy of attention. The more worthy of attention, the more worthy. The more worthy, the more loved. So really everything that I've said above is misguided by a truth with which I've derided and divided myself. But now I've decided and chosen to be guided by my health and address that truth. I don't need to be the best, like literally the best. I just need to be loved by me. I just need to put down this made up hierarchy. Thank you. That was so powerful, James. What is next for you creatively? Yeah, it's getting my poetry to the world. It's having as many people as possible to hear, yeah, hear the messages that I think are really important to speak about and to hear it through my spoken word and being able to just speak to people, to communicate with people through my poetry, whether it's around spirituality, whether it's around life, whether it's around love, relationships, you know, current affairs, whether it's around business, you know, for whatever reason I've been gifted with the ability to write the things that I write and recite them in the ways I recite them. And yeah, that's next for me, getting it to as many people as possible. Well, you truly have a gift and you also have a new fan in me. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed our time together tonight. It's been mind blowing. Just listening to you talk. You're an incredible man. Thank you so much, Michael. And yeah, the website is jqnstudios.com and yeah, JQN Studios across all the socials. Yeah, please follow my work and share it to anybody you think it's, it's going to be meaningful to and impactful for. And yeah, it's just been an absolute pleasure. Um, and thank you so much for gifting me with your presence uh, and the space you've created, Michael. All right, thank you. To our listening audience, 
Be safe out there. And as I share every week, let poetry ring. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.